When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here for uh, the last of my L.A. studio sessions. I had the wonderful Paul Shear in to talk about Beverly Hills Cop. A uh, big fan of Paul's, have long been a big fan of his um, from the early days on MTV with Human Giant. It's a very uh, underrated show if you haven't seen Human Giant with uh, Rob Hubel and Aziz Ansari and uh, Paul Shear. Go find that. And then later on with Things like The League, very funny show, and one of my all-time favorite shows, Children's Hospital. Uh, Paul has been around, and we get into it with his early stories, which I just couldn't get enough of, of his uh, his early days in New York, at, in, in the early formation of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and that whole crew that he was with back then, who all just went on to do great things. It's really amazing. Such a talented group of people um, who were just kids back then. And they're all doing really great, great stuff still. And uh, Paul was Paul was great. And he uh, he came in here um, to talk about Beverly Hills Cop, but also to talk about his new podcast, Unspooled. So not only does he have the great uh, bad, quote unquote, bad movie podcast, How Did This Get Made, with his lovely wife, June Diane Raphael and Jason Mantzoukas, but um, he has a new show now called Unspooled, which takes a more... Uh, not serious, but uh, I guess more of a serious critical eye at the uh, at the top 100 movies of all time. So it's kind of kind of neat. He's clearly a huge, huge movie guy, and it was great to talk to him. Uh, I feel like we could have gone on for hours just talking about all kinds of movies. But check out Unspooled for sure on uh, the Airwolf Network. 
and mid-roll. It's a really, really good show, and they're just getting cranking with it. So um, there's some really good stuff out there. I'm a big fan already. And here we go with Paul Shear on Beverly Hills Cop. I want to talk about your podcast, too, but where yeah. – um, well, actually, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about your your new show. Yeah. And the reason, because you've been making How Did This Get Made for a while now. Yeah, it doesn't feel that long. But when I look at the dates, I'm like, wow, we've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, we only do two new episodes a month. So we're almost at 200 episodes. But I think we've also been doing this since like 2011, I think. It's, yeah, I feel like it's been a while. Yeah. So, you know, we put out fewer episodes than most, even though I do the mini episodes every single week. So I feel right. like I'm always living it, but, um, I think it keeps it fresh for us and uh-huh. it also doesn't keep it like a grind, yeah. um, which is good for all of us because Jason and June and myself, like we're all working actors and right. directors, writers, producers, you know, so we, we can, it's not our only job, yeah. which is, it's a good respite from everything else. Yeah. I've, uh, tried to get Jason here a couple of times and he's hip to do it. Right. But uh, just schedule hadn't worked out yet. Yeah. He is right now in New York shooting John Wick 3. Oh, no way. As the TikTok man, (laughs) which I am so, I mean, you can't get a better name. And uh, I mean, come on, John Wick, the best. (laughs) That's great. Uh, But your new show, um, what was was the impetus behind that? To do something a little more serious? I mean, not serious, but. Well, it's interesting. The new show is called Unspooled. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing it with Amy Nicholson, who is a. Film critic that I really like. I was a fan uh-huh. of her show. And when we were developing some shows back in the day for uh, Wolf Pop, I really liked her because she is critical without being pretentious. Uh-huh. She has opinions with um, – but also her opinions aren't uh, – like she's conversationally opinionated, which is a yeah. nice thing to do. Like not a shut you down type of person. What was her background? Her background is um, – I think she – I mean, and this is – where I'm a little bit hazy, you know, she wrote for the LA Times, she wrote for MTV. Okay. She writes uh, Rolling Stone. Like, so she's uh-huh. all over the board. I like her reviews because they feel very much like a, a Pauline Kale review to mm-hmm. me. They feel yeah. very full. And so um, I've always liked Amy. And yeah. we've done a couple episodes of her show, and it's always a blast. Um, but this idea for Unspooled came up because there's this poster. I was like the hundred greatest movies of all time, mm-hmm. and uh, and what you would do is you'd scratch one off. I think I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. As you watched it, and uh, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, I've seen a lot of these, mm-hmm. and like all these lists, the Alamo Drafthouse best movies, right. the BMI list, like all these movies. I'm like, oh, I've seen these, and then you look at the list, and you're like, well, I've seen a percentage of these, mm-hmm. and then as I kind of thought about it even even more, like, yeah, I've seen Taxi Driver. I don't remember Taxi Driver. Like, right. I remember the thing that you're supposed to remember, like the memeable moments right. from it. And I was like, oh, it would be really fun to watch these movies. And especially now in the sense that as I've now been creating stuff, watching bad movies, I'd love to see what people put forward as good, great, you know, seminal yeah. films. And so I was like, I want to do that. And I was like, well, why don't I do it as a podcast? Because uh-huh. it might be interesting to do it like that. And I partnered with Amy and we are kind of just doing that, having a non-pretentious conversation, kind of what we'll have here today, I imagine, yeah. where we are just talking about film as people who love film, people right. who are interested in it. We hopefully will be a little bit educational, a little bit interesting, but it's really just um, 
it's kind of like a very relaxed film class where you can mm-hmm. kind of check in and, and that's hopefully, what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like to get people excited about watching movies because for me, we've only, I think we're at this point, we've released about four or five, but yeah. we've recorded about 10. Um, I'm like so kind of inspired by all mm-hmm. this stuff and it's stuff that I've stayed away from. Like, yeah, like Citizen Kane and I've talked to so many people who are like, yeah, I never saw it and it, right. cause it feels like homework, <laughs> but then you realize it's not, it's good. Yeah. It's a great movie. And you know, and, and we just did swing time, which is a Fred, uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers uh-huh. film. And I've never seen one. And there's a lot of debate about does that belong on the AFI top 100 list? Yeah. Top hat might be better than swing time. Regardless of that, yeah. just to expose yourself to it uh-huh. is great. So I just find myself enjoying these movies. We watched French Connection a couple weeks ago. Uh, so good. Such a great movie. And it was a movie that I had watched. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I remembered from it was they hid the drugs under, like, in the paneling. Uh-huh. Like, you know. But And I'm like, how did I miss this entire movie? So in watching these movies that I hadn't seen or that I believed I saw, yeah. I'm like, oh, there's a whole other movie here yeah. that I've just – my brain is just kind of excised out. So I don't know. It, it really is coming from the joy of just watching stuff and wanting to talk about stuff. And we get to interview interesting people who yeah. are, you know, involved in some way. Yeah. And that's um, even I've, I've realized with this show for movies that I've seen. I mean, some of these I've seen. I've recorded one on Raising Arizona yesterday. Yeah. I've seen that movie 25 times probably. Right. But there's something different when you watch it with a critical eye. Yes. And take notes. And things jump out at you never noticed. And uh, to watch it more as a student of the movie has kind of been a fun experience. And I imagine you're kind of having that same thing. Yeah, you are watching it without being forced to kind of watch it or, mm-hmm. you know, or you're watching it in the right situation. Um, 2001 is a movie that I get. I yeah. understand why people like it. And my experiences in watching it were never really like – whoa, this movie blew my mind. Yeah. But for this podcast, I went to the Arclight Cinema out here in LA because oh, they're nice. doing this like road show, the 70 millimeter. Yeah. Per day. And it blew my mind. I have not stopped thinking about that movie uh-huh. since I saw it. And I was like, oh, like now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because it's like, I've, you know, it, that movie to me is a very like uh stoner film in the sense that like, sure. you know, people are like, watch this now and it's midnight and whatever you've been uh-huh. doing before. And it's like, <laughs> that's not exactly the way that that movie should yeah. be enjoyed or at least for the first time. And, and there's fun in, you know, we do it all the time with how did this get made? We're critically looking at like, you know, a Mr. T movie or, right. you know, hurricane heist or whatever the thing is. <laughs> so it is kind of refreshing for me just to be like, Oh, every one of these movies is good. And yeah. now it's like a little bit of a debate of, does it belong there? Is it really good? And we were talking about this the other day. I don't know what you think about this, but like Platoon is like an interesting movie because I, I just wa- watched that last night for oh, really? one I'm recording tomorrow. Yeah. So I watched that this week mm-hmm. and I found myself incredibly kind of like, wow, really moved by yeah. it. And especially the first half, like, uh-huh. uh, you know, like up until, you know, kind of that famous moment with Willem Dafoe's character where he's kind of gunned down, right? you know, and and then from there, the movie wasn't as like on the edge of my seat where mm-hmm. I was. But, you know, it's interesting. It's like, it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Does it belong on that list? Is yeah. it better than Apocalypse Now? Does it have to be just compared to Vietnam movies? Like, right. But it, it, it's it's interesting. It, you know, it won I, Best Picture. Yeah. You know, and, and it, I think I'd forgotten that. Well, it's it's funny because we were talking about it in the sense that you, when you talk about Vietnam films, mm-hmm. uh, or at least for the longest time, it's Apocalypse Now and it's Deer Hunter. And yeah. very rarely is Platoon in like in that conversation. I agree. Uh-huh. Um, 
but yet Platoon does something that I think no one ever did before, which was like kind of show Vietnam like the real way. It's a Vietnam right. vet who's like saying, I was there. This uh-huh. is what I saw. And so for that, I was like, whoa, this blows my mind. And that probably opened the door for a lot of filmmakers to make these movies that they've made about Iraq and PTSD and all yeah. this other stuff. But is, I don't know, what did you think at the end of the day? Because I'm, I'm curious, like, too, because I went in really emotionally attached to it. And then uh-huh. as I talked about it, I'm like, oh, well, I wonder where it all falls. Because, yeah. like, again, the first half is really fantastic yeah. to me. And then it just sort of, I don't know, it becomes more of a movie. Or like, yeah. I mean, that's a movie I saw a lot in college. It was on our, with my roommates and I, it was on our VHS rotation for, okay. like, a solid year. Um, and it's the first time I'd seen it since. Um and I remember thinking back then, even like Oliver Stone is so heavy handed right? with the voiceover, with the letters home to grandma and stuff. Um, and I, that always has bugged me about him, even though I really enjoy some of his movies, how he will explicitly say, like, by the way, here's the theme of the movie. And I will literally tell it to you in a voiceover. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't feel like it needed that stuff. But um, I think what didn't hit me before was how much it was just a movie from the the grunts perspective. Yeah. And I don't know how often we had seen that at that point. And showing like the factions within, like, I think at that point, probably you're not seeing, you're seeing like the greediness of war mm-hmm. of the, you know, American soldiers fighting the enemy or the right. British soldiers, but you've never seen um, like the bad version yeah. of that. And th- and that's interesting. There were but two I, murders of fellow soldiers. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and 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 just the abuse of those people, like whether it's Charlie Sheen pointing that gun at, you know, the, the clearly mentally handicapped yeah. young man in the village and the raping of the those girls in the village. It's like, like oh, uh, this is an anti-American yeah. war film, which is uh-huh. interesting. Um, filmically or yeah, as a film, it has this weird thing because you're saying you're right. Like they cut from a scene of guys like smoking marijuana to right. another scene of guys playing cards, listening to a song. Basically saying we don't smoke marijuana, yeah. like, you know, like that it's kind sort of, of obvious. yeah. Um, <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. But you know, it's yeah, it, it, and you know, and that's a very eighties movie too. You know, it's like it, this is the thing: a hundred movies, shit gets in there. Yeah, like, and we're talking about swing time. Like swing time is a great example of. I've had more reaction to that episode than others because people are like that's not the best Rogers and Astaire movie, uh-huh. and and. Why is it there? Right. Like, why is it there? Like, it's people like, across the board are like, no, like, uh-huh. Top Hat is way better than right. this. Right. That's um, interesting. But it's because maybe the Library of Congress put it in. You know, right. it's like, so you all, you know, things slide in and then uh-huh. they're locked in. So I, 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 it's been an interesting discussion. None of them are bad films. Yeah. But it's sort of like, oh, we're just, you know, it's not like we're there to be like, let's take down this list. It's bullshit. Uh-huh. I think it's more to be like, let's talk about these films and look at them in a in a way that's critical, but yet uh, accessible. Yeah. And and I mean, lists like that are all just tough and problematic and subjective anyway. Yeah. But it's a cool way to tackle it for a podcast, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, and I think the what we're trying to struggle with, too, is talking about, and this is interesting, I'd love to hear your opinion about this. Like, where do you tackle a list that has 100 films on it, mm-hmm. none of them directed by women? Yeah. You know, and that like that's zero, huh? Yes, yeah, zero. Yeah. But yet you have, you know, and then you have like some people who have some very problematic things too. You have like a Roman Polanski and you have a Woody Allen and it's right. like, and, uh, and you have like Roman Polanski being kicked out of the Academy. Like, but yeah. now, and that doesn't mean that that movie is not valid. And I think a lot of people get very defensive about that. Like, well, like, cause there's blackface and swing time too. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean we can't watch it. It's like, right. But 
I think it's about like, well, if we are going to watch it though, we have to have a discussion about yes, the absolutely. context that uh-huh. we're watching these things in because yeah. it's part of the dialogue now. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Boy, no women on that list. It's shocking, but also completely not surprising at all when and you think about it. So far, I have to say, like, also, uh, non-white representation is yeah. very minimal on that yeah. list so far. I mean, maybe we'll get into it, but on the 10 movies that we've done, yeah. it's it's nil. I mean, you know, it's, it's... Well, it's sort of an old school list. Yeah, two, well, 2007. Is that when it came out? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you know... Lots changed in the past 11 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hopefully there'll be a new list, and hopefully that list will move things around, you mm-hmm. know, and, and for the right ways. And I also believe it's like... Let's bring in a movie that we hadn't been on the list. It may have come out in 1950. Like, you yeah. know, like, you know, cause like Ben Hur moved down to a hundred, mm-hmm. but it was up in the seventies or eighties, like in the, the original list. So, right. you know, and you know, uh, it's, int- it's, I just I think it's interesting. Cause you also don't want to put on like, you want to put moonlight on that list now because it just came out. You need right. to have a little bit of distance to For be sure. like, wh- how does it affect our culture? Yep. Uh, cause Stand you don't want to test of time. Yeah. You uh-huh. don't want it to be like the Academy Awards where it's very much like the flavor of the month and right. And then it goes away. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it, it, it's an interesting list. I hope they come up with a new one. Yeah. I, it's, um, what I'm going to start doing is listening to your show and watching the movie beforehand because I need someone to force my hand to watch a lot of these films right. because I'm getting to the age now. I'm 47 where I, uh, you know, I'm not circling the drain, but I'm starting to think like, I need to, I haven't seen fucking Casablanca. Right. Yeah. Like, I need to do that and not watch The Hangover again. Well, we all have these movie holes, these like gaps in mm-hmm. our, you know, it's like, and we all do every single one of us. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I feel like it's interesting to kind of follow them up. And also then when you see these movies, you go like, oh, like, you know, apropos to what we're talking about today. Like watching French Connection, I was like, "Well, this is the genesis of the buddy cop." Uh-huh. Like, I mean, it's a different thing than what Lethal Weapon is, but it, you can see yeah. those seeds, and, yeah. and 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 I think that's kind of fun for me as a movie fan that is you know more prone to watch you know John Wick or something like that. You right. know, you <laughs> it, it's fun to go like, "Oh, where did that come? Like, where did that come from?" Yeah, the genesis of these things. Yeah, that's I just, cool. I just watched Hotel Artemis the other night, and what's uh, that? Hotel Artemis is a new movie that just came out, directed by Drew Pierce and written by Drew Pierce. And this is a guy who uh, kind of came up in a uh, British comedy circle, then got into writing like these big, giant action movies. He wrote Iron Man 3 and did oh. the story for Mission Impossible. And uh, it's just kind of been attached to uh-huh. big, big projects. And he wrote a script, got on the blacklist, and then made this little indie movie. It stars Jodie Foster and Sterling K. Brown and Brian Tyree Henry and... Uh, just a, a, a Jeff Goldblum, an assortment of cool people. Mm-hmm. And what got me really excited about it was it's an indie movie that felt like the indie movies that were being made in the nineties, like by like Miramax, like, you know, like yeah. you would see like Quentin Tarantino being like, we support this person. And it yeah. feel, you know, or it felt like what dusk till dawn felt like, you know, right. like, it's not for everybody. It's kind of like an elevated B movie mm-hmm. that's cool and weird. And it's, it's like, I was saying it's like repo man meets Barton Fink, you know, yeah. it's like this oh, kind of, a, you know, <laughs> um, and it's like, that to me is so exciting because I feel like indie film now has become, uh, like very mumble corey yeah. kind of stuff. And it's so nice to kind of get out of that. You uh-huh. know, it's, it's genre, which is horror and mumblecore. And it's like, oh, I want to see like the action yeah. 
um, you know, like, you know, and, and, and I think like, and the appreciation for all that, like, I, like you see that movie, oh, that reminds me of Repo Man. Oh, I'm watching Repo Man again. Uh-huh. I want to watch Barton Fink again. I think yeah. like hopefully we fuel each other and be like, oh, if you see Casablanca, you'd be like, oh, I li- now I appreciate right. this other movie for that. And yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. it kind of opens up a conversation within yourself. Yeah, because I mean, there. I mean, how many stories are there? What do they say? Yeah, it's like like four stories, right? Or, or yeah. yeah, something like so small. I thought, and yeah. everything is a variation on those themes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's really cool. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Long Island, uh, right outside of New York City, uh-huh. and um, you know, typical suburban life. Uh, nothing too exciting. I feel like as I've gotten older, you know, I moved to New York to go to NYU. Mm-hmm. Definitely more sheltered in my community, which I imagine most people are, you yeah. know. Uh, and that was, you know, but my but my gateway out was my parents were divorced and my dad was a very um, integral and in like kind of getting me to see cool things. Like uh-huh. he would tape Saturday Night Live for me before I was old enough to stay awake for it. And then we'd watch nice. it on Sunday mornings. Or, oh, that's great. You know, and, and he would – um, he had two VCRs and we tape stuff. And one of the movie we're gonna talk about today, like he would tape it uh-huh. and, uh, and cut out like the nudity, right? you know, so I could see it and the violence in the beginning. Like, but like, he knew like, I like certain stuff and he like exposed me to it. And that was like a really, for me, such a cool thing to kind yeah. of feel like that was my gateway to kind of finding stuff. I didn't have brothers and sisters and, um, and the, and the people I was growing up with, like normal stuff, but I was definitely a, a latchkey kid who watched a lot of TV, a lot of movies, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of was pulling all this stuff in. So my dad really yeah. kind of supported that. Was your uh, did you have any ideas that you could be an actor and a writer, or did that seem accessible at all to you? You know, yes and no. I feel like in the beginning, when you're youthful, you go, yeah, like that's what I want to do, and then it just seemed to me by the time I went to college because I was in like plays and I was writing uh-huh. things in school and, and like one of my senior plays, like I wrote all the middle stuff, like basically a stand up comedy routine in between mm-hmm. all these musical numbers. And I was like, I want to do this. Um, but then my parents are like, you have to go to college. You, get right. it. you know? And so I went to college I went to there to study education, teaching, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I fell in line with this like upright systems brigade theater, which is an improv theater that was doing like, Kind of improv, like every time this bell rings, ding, you know, you have to change the last thing that you said. Those are the early days of UCB too, I guess. Uh, Well, this is, yeah, this is Chicago Salem, even pre-UCB. They weren't even Uh there. And so we were doing like, I was doing like, not shitty improv, but very basic short form improv. Uh And everyone there, if they didn't have day jobs, they were, they weren't even like, I want to audition for movies and I want to audition for commercials. They, uh-huh. There was this sort of like a workaday element to it. And it just felt like, oh, the best thing I could ever achieve is to get into the main stage of this company. Uh-huh. And that will be that. Um, and then UCB came to town. And UCB right. is the Upright Citizens Brigade, kind of this punk rock comedy thing. Yeah. You know, five floors above a hardware store when I first started seeing them. And they blew my mind. One suggestion. And they're doing these crazy improv sets. And this is what was going on in Chicago. But we didn't feel it in New York. Right. And, and there was so much buzz around them and there were celebrities playing with them. And and when I was watching them, celebrities that you know now were all playing with it was Adam McKay and Tina Fey right. and Brian Stack and Miriam Tolan Stack, like all these people that you would that you've seen in a million things, uh-huh. Rachel Dratch, 
but they were just playing on Sunday, you know, and they've all grown to become. Yeah. But but celebrities were in the audience, and you felt cool as a five dollar ticket, and you every yeah. Sunday night you go watch the show, <laughs> and I was so like I need to get in here, and I and I got in, and that's when my world kind of opened, and it was like, yeah, oh, this is attainable. This is actually something I could do. Like, yeah, you were good at it. Yeah, it was like good at it, and that. It could be a career because, like, mm-hmm. the UCB were creating their own shows. People I was going out with uh, – not going out with, but, like, people I was peers with were auditioning for commercials in yeah. Chicago. You know, they weren't – you just felt like, oh, this is alive. And then, you know, SNL came to UCB, and I got to be in that show and got to audition for SNL a handful of times. Like, just, like, opportunities yeah. were coming from being associated with this thing. So it didn't – it was kind of a multi-step process. Like, it was, you know, resigned going to college and going like, well, I won't ever do this because right. my parents won't pay for that. And, uh, and you know, it's so hard. And then I got into this one thing. I was like, well, this will be where I am. And I'm happy with that. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, whoa, no. This, you know, I, I, I attribute everything good in my creative life and even my personal life to UCB because that's where I met my wife. Yeah. Well, who was in your who was in that crew in your early crew? My early crew was people like Rob Riggle, uh-huh. uh, you know, from The Hangover and The sure. Daily Show. Rob Corddry, also from The Daily Show. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, Rob. Big human Sh- giant fan, by oh, the way. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was Rob, so great. Oh, that was so, just a fun show to do. Uh, Rob Hubel, Nick Kroll, uh-huh. uh, John Mulaney. Like, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like uh, it's – it's kind of everybody that is in comedy. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's like crazy. And you were just kids. Exactly. We all came to New York. You know, like I went to Kroll. I went to Georgetown because my friend Owen Burke, who runs uh, Gary Sanchez, Adam McKay's company, like he was like, I want to go back to my school. Mm-hmm. That's where I met Kroll and John Mulaney. Oh, really? You know, they were like a couple of years younger than us. And then, you know, you just kind of paired up with people. So uh-huh. the original group that we were – uh, we're actually all going back to New York for the Dell Close Marathon, which is right. a sick thing. And we're putting together one of the original groups. Oh, fun. You know, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it's all these people who have had tremendous success, whether it's Scott Armstrong who wrote, uh, you know, Old School uh-huh. and Elf. Uh, you know, it's it's directors, it's it's writers. Peyton Reed, crazy. you know, was directing UCB and hanging out. And Was he? Yeah. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, he directed the show. And it was uh, one of my, I think my first speaking line parts was, and I love Peyton Reed because he directed, uh, he directed Mr. Show. And uh-huh. I was like, now he's directing UCB. And, you know, so you just... But these are all of our friends. We were all doing extra work for 14 hours a day on a UCB show. But it yeah. was all these people now that have achieved something, you know, from Chris Gethard to, yeah. you know, all, all all across the board. It's crazy, man. I mean, there was so much talent. Uh, it feels like, I mean, for a guy like me, who were, who were fans of all you guys, yeah. like it seems like everybody went on to do great things. Well, you know what? I think that the UCB... In, uh, instilled in all of us this idea of throwing the ladder back down, right? Uh-huh. Like, you know, uh, so that's great. When they were on Conan and they were getting more successful, they were like, well, just take all of our students, mm-hmm. you know? So then all of a sudden we're starting to do Conan. And then, you know, when we got our opportunities, we would go like, well, who else is around? Like, if you look at the human giant 24 hour marathon, where we took over MTV mm-hmm. for 24 hours. Yeah. If you look at those faces in that group, mm-hmm. everyone that we brought there, they're all of our friends. And each one of them is doing something very interesting and creative. But it was like, it's because they are, that was it. That, yeah. That's, that's who we drew from. We weren't standups. We were, this is a community. And at that point it was probably a community of like a couple hundred people. Uh-huh. And so it was like, well, when we wanted to cast somebody funny, we had, the perfect 
casting pool right yeah. there, you know. Uh, so that that's, you know, I think the reason why you see a lot of cross-pollination. If you look at NTSF, SDSUV, which is a show I did for Adult yeah. Swim and, <laughs> and Children's great. Hospital, uh-huh. oh, that's man. everybody there. You look yeah. at Human Giant, that's everybody there. We are very often just using people. And to this day, I, you know, it's like, who do I get in that are my friends? And sometimes yeah. you have to be like, who do I try to get in? I have to kind of break myself of that mold, you uh-huh. know, like because it's sort of like I can kind of sometimes get so cut off. But what I've been trying to do, like when I did the show Drive Share uh, last year with uh, Hubel, we just like pulled like the best and the brightest from like UCB LA. Right? And uh-huh. I met so many amazing people, so many funny people. Oh, uh, that's great. Because I was kind of wondering about that. It seems like, I mean, UCB has now become an institution. Yeah. Um, which is great, but yeah. there are so many people cycling through there uh, that are super talented, but it's like, it's not like the old days. No, the old days, like you could go to a party, a UCB party, you knew everybody, right. and everyone knew you, and now you go to a UCB party and you would have maybe one fourth of the uh-huh. UCB. Like, you know, it's like we could all fit in a space at right. one point. Now, it's just not that. It's yeah. not that at all. You know? I imagine you guys are just like gods to these kids out here you today, know, huh? You know what I would say? <laughs> I would say I don't even think they know us, honestly. What? Like, you know, because I think they probably know that we do stuff, but not because of UCB. They have their own people that they came up like we had our people that we looked up to, and then they had and right. we had people below us that looked up to you know, you're always looking to the people ahead. And I think that yes, we're there and we've done stuff and I still do an improv show there and but I, I, I feel like the the cool thing about UCB is it doesn't stand on history. It's yeah. like it's like what are we doing? And that may be the same attitude that we had, which is a very punk rock attitude. It's like, all right, the UCB, how can we best the UCB? Like, we uh-huh. want to be as good or if not better. And then people would watch us and be like, I want to be like this. And you know, you had these factions even within UCB early on. And and like a polite factions there were right. like you know we were all friends but it was sort of like i was on a group called respecto it was like me jack mcbrayer rob riggle rob hubel uh you know a few handful of other people and then there was another group called the swarm and that was mm-hmm. like people like andy daly and uh and and andrew secundum people like that and the they the swarm took a very slow uh, style of improvising which mm-hmm. was an element of ucb and the four, and then we took the fast style of it. Yeah. And then there were people who came after us, and they're like, uh-huh. "Oh, we're going to go more respecto. We're going to go more swarm." And then there was just like, like yeah. everyone just kept on building off of each other. So, you know, we were following something, and they were copying us, and they uh-huh. became something. So, it in a cool way, everyone's kind of morphing on a new yeah. thing. So you don't even get to look that far down the line because I think UCB doesn't install pillars. There's uh-huh. not like, there's not like a wall, like at the groundlings or like, these are the people who came before you and these are the groundlings. It's right. Like, you're just the next crew and that's it. Yeah. And, you that's know, it's, cool, which is kind of, I, I like it in the sense that you can define yourself in your own way. That's why even in our show that we do now, I play with uh, people that are younger and came up in a way different time than us. Just uh-huh. like, oh yeah, well we play similarly and you play yeah. good with us, you know, so that's it. What are you doing now at UCB? What show it's is it? It's called Facebook, which is a show that we started when UCB opened in LA, which I think now is over like 12 years ago. But uh-huh. um, the idea of it is uh, we take a look at somebody's Facebook profile and then we improvise scenes based on it. And the reason why we. <laughs> just a random up, person? 
Random that person. hasn't opened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they have to sign in and and uh, and get on there. The reason why we started it, it was started off actually as MySpace. So that's how long we've been doing right. it. Um, and, but uh, because people didn't believe improv out here, uh-huh. we would do a show in New York. We could take one suggestion. We can go for an hour. Yeah, and no one would doubt it. Here we had to kind of spoon feed improv right in the beginning. We had to be. What do like, you mean believe? They thought that you had written, free. Oh, yeah, and, like, and you know, and we we encountered that every now and then in New York. Some people were like, well, you write that. Well, you write that, and you know what you're going to do. It's like, no, we're improvising. That's right. what we're doing. That's what. We, well, no, you couldn't have done that. And it's like, no, that's what we do. We had a Saturday at ten show, and um, a handful of times people would like want their money back because they were told they were seeing improv. They'd want their five dollars. Yeah, back. exactly. <laughs> and we're like, it's improv, like, but we it. It's a funny thing because then you would tell people we improvise and then people are like, well, yeah, but how much? Right. The whole thing. Uh-huh. And believe me, we've done some uh, more than our share of bad shows. We improvise. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. But um, I think that we always joke that our improv is at the level where when we think we're having a bad show, it's still entertaining to an audience, which has taken a while to get, you know, to yeah. get there. Um, but uh, all that to be said, it was just sort of like uh, – we were coming out to L.A. They didn't really have an improv, so uh-huh. they had the Groundlings. Second City had a very little footprint here. So we had to show them, like, what we're doing is improvising. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to bring a random person up from the audience. Mm-hmm. There's no plan. And people still think we have plants, which is right. crazy. Bring a person up from the audience. We open, We watch them log in to their computer. We get on there and we start talking uh-huh. to them. And then we interview them for about five, seven minutes. And then we improvise 15, 20 minutes of scenes. And we try to tie those scenes to what we've gotten yeah. out of there. So it just basically, it's like, it's like a magic trick revealed. It's like, here it is. You're wondering why we're talking, why yeah. we're in a dentist's office. Well, this guy said he's a dentist. Like, you know, right. like, so we're trying to like draw those lines. And we felt like that was really beneficial because it, it lets the audience in. And it's like, oh, that's what they, they can kind of play along with you. It's yeah. like, oh, good. you know, like they're playing a bingo in a way. Um, and not to say anything bad about LA audiences, but we, wanted to develop a form mm-hmm. that wasn't just give us a suggestion and let's go. We, right. You know, so that was our mentality. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate compliment though. Like if those people that say that, like, eh, he's a planter, you guys right. really write this, right? Yeah. They need to see bad improv. Right. Because there is bad improv. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want to like knock people. It's people that are probably working on their, their stuff. As, as was I for many years too. And I mean, still, yeah. But yeah. when you see like you guys or um, I'm a big fan of uh, the Convoy guys. Oh, yeah. Those and, guys are great. Yeah. Or, or Super Ego. And they're yeah. just like they're so tight. And it's like a musical group. You know, when you work with each other, it probably does feel written if you're uh, uninitiated as some, you know, as an audience member. Well, I think people always say that about the league. Like People are always surprised. Uh, the show I did, the league on FX. Like, Such they, a great show. Oh, thanks. Uh, we that was an improvised show. There was no script. It was curb style like really you know, yeah I we just had a, i knew that yeah we had a 12 page outline uh-huh. so uh and i wrote a handful of those episodes it was really hard to write because you have You're to write to scripting probably yeah and you have to write um a scene that lets you know what you need to hit mm-hmm. for the plot yeah and give you ideas where you can be funny but also we can get away from it like some of the best stuff in that show and was things that we found in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not like one take and we're done. We're not doing like a Woody Harrelson lost in London kind of thing. You know, right. we are doing a, we're doing it like, Oh, that was a funny bit about the corn. Like, let's do that again. And I'll, I'll say that to set you up and great. We'll take it too. And uh-huh. So you're almost like 
doing like three takes of, of a scene. And by the time you get the third take, it's a crafted thing. But it right. all was developed out of this improvised the cameras are running and we're using yeah. that and we're, we're just refining it, you know? And like, and that was one of the great things about our creators, Jeff and Jackie, that uh-huh. they were able to, you know, just corral that and, yeah. and kind of put, you know, put us in there and, and use stuff, stuff that we improvised would become integral to the show and, uh-huh. and our characters. <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> I love that show, man. There was uh every time I tried to turn someone on to it, yeah. I would have to explain to them that it was, it was not about fantasy football. Yes. It was, that was sort of a framework, I guess. But and you know, if you were also into fantasy football, there were great little things peppered in there. One hundred percent, yeah. But uh, you certainly did not have to be a fan of football at all to to love that show. Well, that was our struggle all along, and I think as the show grew, especially once it got on Netflix, people got more hip to it, especially uh-huh. uh, women. And I found that yeah. a lot of uh, the show was marketed to like dudes and yeah in the, all the advertising campaign were like footballs and ref whistles and uh-huh. you know and the sports announcer and i slightly would, misleading yeah we'd always argue like no this is really about people in their 30s mm-hmm. just trying to be adults yeah. some have kids some are single some are divorced right and yes they're the reason why they get together they're you know you don't have to hang out in a bar to like cheers you don't have to like you know uh you don't have to be a genius to like watch big bang theory it's, right it's like we've just given them a reason to exist together yeah and um and to fuck with each other and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and and so as the show kind of went on we found like that was a really cool thing and we and and so many people are like I don't watch fantasy football they love the show I'm like great you don't need to like our plots were very rarely sp- like in, uh, the reason I didn't audition for the show was because I was like I can't improvise about fantasy football and they're mm-hmm. like, it's not about fantasy football yeah and so I almost missed an all opportunity to do that show simply oh, because man. I was like I would feel uncomfortable like you know talking about levon bell or you know like i, I can't i i can't improvise in that yeah thing. like you don't have to and then that was the, the benefit of it <laughs> hey this is jody sweeten from the podcast how rude tanneritos as a nostalgic voice from your past i'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024 you deserve to get away It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. If you'll indulge me a minute for Children's Hospital too. Oh yeah. One of my favorite shows and it was just, um, just so it's kind of one of my favorite kinds of comedy that um, I always describe to my wife as, as uh, silly or dumb. Yeah. But I mean that in the best way. Yeah. Like dumb jokes well, to me can be so, an absurdist maybe is a better word. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that if you look at like, you know, uh, Rob Corddry created that show with uh, David Wayne and uh-huh. David Wayne, when you look at what hot American summer, oh, sure. you know, has that streak. And I think that they both kind of worked so well together uh-huh. and set a tone so early on that they, they just kind of nailed this thing. So when I've written episodes of that and I was on that show and, uh, and you knew exactly what they wanted, but they uh-huh. were the, they were also the arbiters of this, the final say. And, yeah. and, and, and Rob, you know, really, really had that tone and voice down. And you're right. It's silly. It's dumb. It's weird. It's so funny. It yeah. was so strange. Yeah. It's just a bizarre, great show. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think really helped, uh, Adult Swim kind of put itself on its ma- on the map as uh-huh. far as doing live action yeah. that was interesting and different. You know, um, before that, I think they were trying taking a lot of shots and none of them worked. And then we got to kind of, uh, you know, get jump uh, in their in their kind of wake mm-hmm. and get to do NTSF, which was again like kind of silly and, yeah. and and a parody and fun and you know get to do all this sort of fun stuff. But um, before that, there was no there is no outlet to kind of do it. So children's kind of really blew out that, that path. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone of sort of our age group grew up loving like the airplane movies yeah. and stuff like naked gun. And it had been a long time. Like that kind of parody sort of went out of fashion. Right. And I think children's hospital, we, we talk kind about, of picked that up a little bit. We talk about that a lot. We were always saying that like it, the, the thing about naked gun and uh, airplane was that they were funny movies mm-hmm. that had big, crazy jokes in them, right? Yeah. But it wasn't like the Waynes Brothers movies, that, which are so referential, mm-hmm. that like the way that you get the joke is because you saw Borat, so you know that's, right. that joke, or you saw The Happening. So, And, and no offense to that style of comedy, uh-huh. but we definitely went into the parody right. version of it instead of like, and I don't know if it's maybe the better word is satire, but mm-hmm. you know what? I love police squad and I loved, you know, airplane, yeah. but you didn't need to know anything more than Absolutely. the trope of it's a cop show. It's a yeah. plane thing. And we're in. Yeah. And so that was something we always tried to do is like, no, we need to create real characters, real stakes, mm-hmm. real things and do jokes uh, around them. Yeah. And there was something about, uh, it was sort of a stroke of genius, I think to hit on that 15 minute, Oh yeah, length. It was it, it was it great. Was you never perfect. get tired of it because yeah. it literally was eleven minutes and twelve seconds of, of actual, material. Yeah, and uh, you got a lot done in that eleven minutes. So it's crazy. Oh yeah, I mean, it, I found it actually. It's been hard to transition into uh-huh. larger scripts. Minutes. Yeah, when you when <laughs> when you are used to being so, you're executing mm-hmm. in you know eleven pages. 
an A, B, and C plot. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, challenge and all that great stuff, you know? It's fun. That's great. Um, all right. So I guess we should get into Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. This was your, your pick, which um, I think you've – did you have another pick, too, that you were debating? Was this the one? I felt like – I remember that when you asked me about it, I may have submitted two, but I don't remember the other one. I don't either. I've been I've been in this new phase, which has been not trying to be cool about what I like because – like there was like a thing that was going on with Filmstruck. It was like, you're uh-huh. Filmstruck 4, what are you? And everyone would be like, well, I'm part, you know, before Sunrise, but also part, uh, you know, uh, Avengers, <laughs> but also part this. And I'm like, and, and, and you could tell that everyone was trying to like check every box. Yeah, sure. And, and for me, and I'm not saying that everyone has to be this, but I was a kid of the 80s. And for me, I when my Filmstruck 4 kind of opened my eyes because I'm like, well, no, I am – Back to the Future, uh-huh. Empire Strikes Back, yeah, Die you know, Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, like those are the movies that I've watched the most that I don't know if they have defined me, but they are me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and I could only judge it by the movies I've watched the most times. And yeah. those are the movies I've watched the most times. I've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, Die Hard, Back to the Future, and, you know, these movies. Yeah. And, and Beverly Hills Cop is like a close fifth and, and probably even maybe even gets into that four occasionally because it's like movies I love that I grew yeah. up on that I didn't have any I wasn't trying to be cool it's like I like this and right. I'm gonna watch it into the ground right uh 1984 I was 13 uh the great Martin Brest who uh Midnight Run is one of my all-time favorite oh, movies absolutely Midnight Run to me is a perfect, yeah. perfect film. Yeah. And and another movie that doesn't get that much credit. And Martin Brest made these two kind of very mm-hmm. interesting movies. And, you know, yeah, I, again, you get in this like thing where like, oh, yeah, the Mar- Midnight Run. I could talk about that forever. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, Midnight Run is one of those where I cannot not watch it if I happen upon it. It's such a great film. You know, I say about Martin Brest, too. It's interesting because he also is the guy behind Geely, uh, which is right. the— Well, that's you, what killed his career, yeah. I think. And it's such of. a bummer because— he also was behind these two, you know, more than two seminal uh-huh. work. I mean, you know, and I, what I'm always impressed with with this movie uh, in particular is, you know, the whole story behind it was that, like, Sylvester Stallone was supposed to do this movie. Yeah, I read a little bit about that, yeah, which and, is crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. And so he, I think that the um, the character name, I think it was Axel, I think he, it was Axel Cobra uh-huh. or Cobretti, <laughs> Axel Cobretti. Axel Cobretti. So, so he took... The Cobretti brought it over to Cobra uh-huh. and maybe some elements <laughs> from Beverly Hills Cop brought that over. And then so funny. this movie just was kind of laying in in waste. And Eddie Murphy had this opening at SNL and, uh-huh. and it was like, can we get this thing going? And it was one of those, let's slot him in yeah. and let's do this really quick. And they did. And I think it's one of the reasons why I like this movie and why I kind of wanted to talk about it. Because it shows that you can make mm-hmm. – a good cop movie yeah. without having to play up the comedy. You cast a funny person uh-huh. to make the funniest of funny, but it's like, if you were to make this today, you would have a lot of funny set pieces. Absolutely. You don't have funny set pieces. You have cop set pieces uh-huh. in this. And, and there's a difference. And I think that's why these movies or this movie in particular really works. It's like Eddie Murphy is just like, poof, just exploding with, you know, kind of charm and, you this know. This is like peak Eddie Murphy. Probably. It, yeah. It is like, Post 48 hours, mm-hmm. kind of coming into his own. He's a little bit older, but not that much. Yeah. And he carries this movie on his shoulders. But you kind of just feel like 
I don't know. You you don't see that transition a lot. I think you see movies mm-hmm. that that cater towards uh, you know, the cater towards the comedy. It's like, well, it's a yeah. comedy. It's and you know, that's why I think I don't know. It, it there's something about it that I was like, oh, I love that. If they would have developed it for a year, uh-huh. would it have been as good? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And he was. And this is Eddie Murphy. Um, it, there's been a few times in like the modern era where you can kind of clearly say like, this is the funniest person on the planet right yes. now. And Eddie Murphy owned that title for a while. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's crazy to think that kids now or people now, I mm-hmm. should say, they are kids anymore, don't know him as a, co- a comedian. They it's, know him as like a Disney, yeah, Doctor Doolittle, I know, kind of guy. And it's, it's like, crazy. I would give anything to see Eddie Murphy like back doing yeah. something. Just I don't need him to be like holding the gun and running around, but just creatively fulfilling. Like there is a, a yeah. pilot that I got to watch. It was the Beverly Hills Cop TV show pilot mm-hmm. that was done by Sean Ryan, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eddie Murphy is in it as Axel Foley. The show is about his son. And no offense to anyone in that movie or that TV show, but when Eddie Murphy comes on as Axel Foley. Mm-hmm. So he, this is recent? This is like about two years oh, ago. Oh, wow. He runs circles around everyone. It's so really? exciting to see him just kill this character. The one thing that's funny about it, in my opinion, is that there's a little bit more Eddie Murphy and Axel than in that version because Axel's dressed Real nice, yeah. Sure. You know, uh, he's like, uh, and uh, no and, Mumford yeah, Ed shirt. No, he uh, he looks like Eddie Murphy, kind of like the Metro version of Eddie Murphy. That movie that he did, De Niro, uh, in a uh, it, but the energy is there. Uh-huh. It's the right. He's doing everything right, and all I could think of is the reason why this pilot didn't go is because you watch it and you go. All I want to see is more Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Like, I want to see him do the show. And he was just sort of a side setup character. Or yeah, he was, he was the dad and he would be in a handful of episodes. Gotcha. Judge Reinhold was going to be like the main guy. He oh, was like, nice. I think he'd become like the mayor of uh, Beverly Hills. <laughs> of course. You know, right? or, or the police commissioner. He had, uh-huh. but he was like the big reveal at the end. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and, and Eddie Murphy to me is, you know, Beverly Hills Cop 2 and all these movies just, he was my guy. And, yeah. and I love Bill Murray and I love Steve Martin but there was something about like yeah. those guys feeling like those are my dad's guys. Eddie Murphy felt like my guy. Yeah. And when I was growing up, we're roughly, you know, in the same age, you know, range. Yeah. Right? And, like, and Delirious and Raw, like, the, the, like I could quote those by heart yeah. as a kid, like some of the funniest stand up I've ever seen. And like, I don't want to knock Eddie Murphy now, but it's just so hard to see someone that was the funniest person on the planet kind of not be that anymore. <laughs> well, you know? you know what I think it is, is like, I feel like Eddie has all of it at his disposal mm-hmm. and it's almost like, it's crazy because you look the nutty professor. I watched that recently again. I'm like, Whoa, this movie is fucking hilarious. Like yeah. he kills that movie. And I think at a certain point, he's just knocking out franchise, 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 like big, the biggest movie star. Right. And then it's, I don't think he's getting lazy because he's always good in it, but you may surround yourself. You may make That's these the thing, choices right? that Everyone's are Everyone's saying s- yes, Eddie. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I don't think that he's, or everybody I've spoken to when they talked about Eddie Murphy and they've dealt with Eddie Murphy is like mentally he is with it. He knows what is good. He mm-hmm. knows what is solid. But I think in his mind, he's like, I will do these kid movies that mm-hmm. pay me. I'm getting $20 million. Sure. Like, Twice a year, yeah, making forty million dollars, and they're going to do great. Yeah, I don't even have to worry about even promoting them. It's like the Adam Sandler model. If Adam Sandler went to go do kids movies, uh-huh. instead, you know, I don't know. There's, but then you watch him in Dreamgirls, and you're like, 
Yeah. yeah. He's got it. He's got it all. Like yeah. he's always got it. It just like, but not always in the right thing. Like I said, in that Beverly Hills cop TV buy, I was like, well, yeah, it's still there. It's not like, yeah. and there's so many people we can point to that uh-huh. were at the height and, and not to call names, but like Chevy Chase. Sure. Hilariously funny guy. Once at the top of his game, one yeah. of the funniest people in America, he doesn't got it. Like, I don't think he, right. I don't, I think when he gets it, it's a hit or miss. Uh-huh. Eddie Murphy is like, yeah, great. Put me in the right thing and I'll just kill this for you. Yeah. And my, as an amateur psychologist, I always see Eddie Murphy and think, man, what he needs to do is do an hour of stand up again. Right. And kind of go back to his roots and challenge himself. Yeah. Um, but why challenge yourself when you, I know. when you are that rich, but how many millions does he need? Like he's there. Well, that that's why I think he's kind of retired. I mean, he hasn't yeah, really made a movie in, in five or six years. I mean, yeah. like you pops up like in like that movie, like that little drama film about the piano player. Like, yeah. But it's like, he's not trying to do anything like after Norbit. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe if that's a calculated play where he's like, okay, I need to disappear. Mm-hmm. So when I come back, I'll be Eddie Murphy. I can't just be like Norbit and dream girls in the same year. Right. Because it, it wrecks the brand, you know? Yeah. And that's a big risk. I mean, it's easy for me to say, Hey, go back up and do stand up again yeah. and challenge yourself. But like, there's a lot at stake there. Cause if he, if it's not there, then that tarnishes the brand. Well, it also is a different era because, you know, Eddie didn't always write his own stand up, you know, especially when you talk about like delirious, like there's a lot of writers there, you know, oh, really? Like, like Keenan I don't Ivory. think I ever looked at the credits. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> Keenan Ivory Waynes is like a writer for Eddie really? Murphy. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're credited. So it's uh-huh. not even a hidden thing. I, right. I, I feel like, and, and look, I think you talk to people like Judd Apatow and Kevin Hart and all these people, like when you get to a certain level and you, you are working with people and it's uh-huh. like, here's a Genesis. So how about this? Or how about that? You know, yeah. people help. It, it's, um, I've always heard that, you know, like, cause it's, I think when you get to a level of celebrity, that's so big, you can't just like work out at the clubs, like you, right. your, your obligations preclude you from doing that, yeah. you know? And, and Kevin Hart is the only example I can look at. Who's some guy who like hustles out at the club and Patton Oswalt, like gets out of the club, but Patton's not getting out five nights a week. Patton's right. getting, we talked about this. I did his FYC, you know, he's getting out like once a month, a big show at Largo and once a week, uh, uh-huh. like clubs around. Do you need somebody to be like, Hey, what about that? Maybe this, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's good. Yeah. Uh, so I had a Mumford phys ed shirt when I was in high school. I like, got one in my closet right now. It was a big deal. This yeah. movie was a big deal to me. And, uh, it was cool seeing it as an adult now because so many things jump out at me. Like what a good acting performance he gives comedy aside. Yeah. There's some like legit good acting Drama. in this movie. Yeah. He, I mean, yeah, his friend gets killed. I mean, the opening, and you, you believe all that stuff. 100%. Like there's something so interesting about how gritty the movie is when it opens. Like uh-huh. it, you, you know, you're hearing a like Glenn Fry, the heat is on and, yeah. you're, and you're going through, you know, Detroit mm-hmm. at a period of time where Detroit is, I mean, look, I don't think Detroit's that much better right now, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, you're, you're capturing this vibe and, and, and you, you, from the moment you get in and you uh-huh. hear those things, you're like, you're like, oh, this is different. Like, yeah. this is not glossy. I think it does a great contrast to Beverly Hills. Sure. But, you know, but that, uh, but you're seeing this world and he fits so perfect. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a movie star yeah. in Detroit. Like, when he's getting balled out by the police chief. Oh, he's so you, great. He's great. Actual police chief, that guy. I think I knew that. Uh, and like, he says, fuck, uh. I don't know, something like... Don't think it makes my dick itch. That's yeah, a great like line. Yeah, like he has some of the best over-the-top oh, lines. It's amazing. and But when he's in that, like, 
it's the only time too I've seen like a cop, like a precinct that looked like a precinct, like all those cops, like in it's like a communal like uh-huh. kind of gym locker room. Yeah, like <laughs> everything about it feels real tangible yeah. and real. And the fact that he's friends with this like former criminal who's coming yeah. back and stealing these bear bonds, like I don't know. You're right. It just feels. It, it doesn't feel like he's winking at it. It doesn't uh-huh. feel like he's above it. It feels like he's a part of this landscape. And when he goes to Beverly Hills, I think that's why it works so good. Yeah. Because he doesn't feel, he feels like the outcast. And, uh-huh. and if you were to make a big argument on Beverly Hills Cop 2, which I also love, he's worked the system. He's yeah. He's in the system. He doesn't feel daunted by the system. Where here, you feel like it has those elements of like, here's a black man walking around Beverly Hills. Why is he there? And they like right. basically pick him up. You know, like uh-huh. he, he, he's getting harassed. You know, he's, he's a black guy in Beverly Hills. And and, yeah. and and the movie is about race. It is. It, it's sure. out there in the front line. And it's like, oh, that's cool, too, that they're uh-huh. playing that. Like, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Especially they don't for shy- 1984. Yeah, yeah, they're not shying away from that. Yeah. I think that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, and I love his relationship with, uh, well, with both Mikey uh, and the, uh, what was it, Jenny? Jenny, yeah, name? Jenny, uh, who is great. And like one of those. I don't know, you probably even doing this podcast, like see all these actresses that kind of disappear, like these yeah, leading I remember that actresses. Face. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, they just do like one or two movies and then they're gone. Yeah. And it's such a bizarre world that we lived in in the 80s where yeah. it was like, you are a leading lady and it disappeared. Like, you know, like very rarely is there the Gina Davis and Fletch that goes on to be like Gina Davis. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, that's you, true. You know, that's a good point. Uh, but you really believe that the nature of their relationship, like he and Mikey at the beginning, when he tells him he loves him, and yeah, those are some like, those are some pretty like profound for this movie, profound moments. And and you don't see it in a movie like this. Like you would never see like Mikey's all drunk and he's kind of holding him by his head, and yeah. and, and you know, and, and sets up the whole idea, which is like he took the hit for Axel. Like he right. stole a car, he went to jail. Axel didn't, and Axel's now a cop, and Mikey uh-huh. is. You know, not still, yeah, yeah still kind of. And so, you, but it just shows you like also economy. It's like you get, you get it all. You uh-huh. get these guys, you get like, you don't feel like he's like threatening him. Like I took this hit for you. You did it. He's drunkenly kind of telling him like, I oh, remember that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and he's, there's a real, like a, yeah. That guy who plays Mikey is actually very good. Yeah. Like, he's really good. And they this. had great sleaze bags in the eighties. Midnight run is another great, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you just, you could smell these guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the great John Ashton from both Midnight oh. Run and this. He's so good in this. And, you know, how versatile John Ashton is. Because John Ashton is one way in this movie and another way yeah. in, in Midnight Run. Yeah. And they're, you don't even realize, like, you're like, oh, he's a good, just a solid actor. Like, yeah. you just do it because it's fully different performances. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one is a scumbag and one is, like, a very uptight. Yeah. You know, he's not even the cool Beverly Hills cop. He's the uptight Beverly Hills cop. You yeah. Know, he, like he punches Axel in the stomach and you believe like, uh-huh. you know, I go, Oh, it's like, yeah, this yeah. is an asshole. Like, well, I love that scene too, because um, the cop thing sort of overrides all that. Cause you know, he asks the, the police chief or not the chief, but the, uh, the head of the department asks if he wants to press charges. Yeah. And Axel's like, fuck no, man. Like, yeah. like we're cops. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. There's, I don't know like, what's going on out here. Yeah. There's <laughs> something about this movie and because I'm a big cop movie fan, I love yeah, buddy cops. Way. I love action movies. I, you know, talking about like, there's just something about it that these are the unvarnished ones. Like the you know, I, I put Midnight Run in there too. They're not cops, but mm-hmm. you just they feel like they're they're just more gritty. They have an indie feel to them. Like Lethal Weapon One is yeah. a decidedly not versus all their sequels. Like they're it's grittier. It feels yeah, like it's these are cops. Dark movie, yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, I mean, I love, and I know we're talking about relationships too, but I do love the action sequences in this. Like that opening action sequence with a big cigarette truck just uh-huh. careening around yeah. the streets of Detroit looks like the most dangerous stunt ever. And it yeah. feels more exciting in many ways than a Fast and Furious movie because you know there's no CGI. That's no. a real truck. They demolished like 50 cars yeah. in that scene. It, it, like that was an era where, I mean, again, like the Blues Brothers era where you're just like destroying cars because you could. Yeah. And there's something so like like tactile about just watching this, like this, you know, you know, the semi just going down, just the cigarettes are flying and, and there's a real guy hanging on to that thing slamming. These days there would be, they would sit in front of a computer and map it all out and what could be real. And back then they were like, Let's get 50 junkers and just fucking plow through them. Yeah, just plow. As violently as we can. It's, it, and <laughs> there, and like once you, like that's the opening of the movie and, and he's getting reprimanded the right way for that. Too. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's not like, it's not, you know, it's bad news. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, Gil Hill is, is the chief. He, yeah. It's a bit of a trope as the, as the grumpy police chief, as Inspector Todd. But yeah. He brought a profanity to it that just pushed it so far beyond that trope. Well, here's the thing. I agree with you. And talking about what we were talking about before, like, where does the copy begin? Like, you know, right. sort of like Die Hard, I can point to a million movies that do very similar things to Die Hard that become tropes because of Die Hard. So uh-huh. when you watch Die Hard now, you're like, oh, that's a trope. It's like, but did they start <laughs> right. that trope? Yeah. You know, and, and, and yeah, and like French Connection has like a, a you know, a surly kind of uh, boss, you know, but- you know, it's funny because we we're our landscape now is littered with what worked. Like Beverly Hills Cop was the number one movie of like nineteen eighty was a eighty four. Yeah. yeah, you know, so you, like that gets ingrained. Everyone who's writing movies, seeing yeah. movies, like, oh well, we we need that. We need that cop. We need yeah. that guy to ball out Schwarzenegger. We need that guy to yeah. you know, and and it becomes a copy of a copy of uh-huh. a copy of a copy. And sometimes it works. And I agree. He added a profanity. Like it, it was just so over the top. <laughs> it's so crazy. And, and, and because he's a real guy, you also feel like it feels real. Cause he's not like, he's not like, I'm taking your badge and gun. He's like, what are you, like, what the fuck are you yeah. doing? Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. There's something. Uh, yeah. Victor Maitland, one of the great uh, 80s style. Jurgen uh, Proc now, right? Yeah. Baddies. He was Amazing. so good in this movie. Uh, and the other scene that really got me, um, you know, Bronson uh, Pinchot, Pincho, yeah. how do you pronounce that? Pinchot, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. His scene as Serge was always like one of the funniest things as a kid to watch. Yeah. But watching it now, years later, for the first time in a while, I was like, man, Eddie Murphy is so generous as the straight guy in that scene. Yes. And he is sitting back and like he's the biggest, funniest movie star in the world or about to be. And he totally takes a back seat. And says, I'm going to totally be the straight guy in the scene. And again, that, like, I feel like Eddie Murphy, it, like, it's that thing that you forget. It's like, he just lets someone hit a home run. And he's enjoying uh-huh. it. And you see the, like, oh, yeah. and and he's getting to hit home runs every other scene. Like, yeah. every scene. Basically, it feels like a cop movie that they were like, <laughs> we can't really work on the script. We got to go into production in, like, six weeks. So they're like, all right. So now you go to the country club and you confront Victor Maitland's like, and then Eddie Murphy would be like, um, okay, great. So before I go in there, I'll do my right. little scene with uh-huh. the guy who owns the country club and that will be the comedy. And it's almost like we should be writing cop movies like, or comedy cop movies like uh-huh. that. I think the heat feels very much like that, yeah. like where the, the, uh, the comedy is a part of the actual story instead yeah. of taking over. Cause it basically like every scene of this movie, he's doing all the cop things. Uh-huh. If you took out, you could easily make an edit of this that has 
little to no jokes in it. Yeah, I mean that Sarah scene doesn't need to be in there. No, but it's just fucking funny. It's like it's a sort of like a flourish on top of a scene. It's like, and it's yeah, it, uh-huh. the movie functions. I guess maybe that's what I'm getting at. Like the movie functions perfectly without any of those scenes. Yeah. But those scenes are so additive to your experience of the movie Uh uh, because you're like, Oh, I'm laughing now. All of a sudden, this guy's getting shot in the head and it's, and it's real. Like, you know, it's like, it feels real. And, and, and uh, especially uh, Taggart and Rosewood, which is, uh, you know, John Ashton and, uh, and um, I'm forgetting it. Judge Judge Reinhold. They are, yeah, they're clueless cops, but they're also not super cops. Like that's the other thing. Like no one's like, and Axel Foley has a, a couple moves, but yeah. they're not doing anything too crazy. The movie culminates in a, a shootout at a guy's mansion. It's not yeah, like a Scarface like yeah, shootout. Yeah, it's not it's not too big. I yeah. don't know. I, I like that. Yeah, for sure. Um and even uh not to harp too much on that Sarah scene, but as the straight man, he's still being very funny. Oh, absolutely. With his being small. Yeah. You know, going small with his reactions. It's very subtle. But it, I was just cracking up at Eddie Murphy in that scene. Uh, I, I I agree. One of my favorite scenes that's actually really funny in this movie as well, and it's a small performance, and I don't know the actor's name. But uh, they go to the warehouse to kind of look at stuff. Mm-hmm. He encounters a security guard. He has a whole funny scene with that guy. But then they go to like the file room, and he's looking through the files. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy starts lashing out at this like one guy a little bit of a nerdy guy uh-huh. and he's like is that your porsche is that your porsche out there and he's like and he's like you know because he like basically is like just chastising this guy and and then they go, okay let him do his work and he's yeah. doing his work and the guy's like no sir that's not my porsche i don't know whose porsche that is <laughs> and it, it, it's such a funny like he, like it's it just a great little moment and yeah. like and the movie allows and i think martin breast does this again in midnight run mm-hmm Everyone gets like these like little things like Charles Grodin oh, never man. been as great as he is in that film. Yeah. And, and I would argue, you know, Martin Brest, uh, I want to say it in the best way possible, hurt Robert De Niro's career in making him so funny in Midnight Run <laughs> because then be like, well, he'll be funny in a lot of things. Yeah. And it's sort of like, no, he, if you use him right, uh-huh. he will be your like, like I think meet the parents. He's used perfectly right. and is Great. Uh, you know, Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. You know, sure. But like, and it's like, like, I think by showing off that side of uh, Daenerys, you're like, oh, he could be funny. Yeah. And then, and then you misuse him. And then was you. Was that the first funny role he had? Midnight Run? I, I feel like it has to be. Yeah. Right? I think it probably I feel like was. that was a big deal. Cause it was, it wasn't even like, uh, it wasn't even like he's, you know, Charles Grodin is definitely leading the comedy, but it, but well, he, but it's all very kind of, Dead, yeah. deadpan. Yeah. And, and but there, I mean, looking back, it's I'm funny. Looking. Like Grodin and De Niro are literally one of the great comedy duos in film history to me because Absolutely. they were so great together in Midnight Run. Yeah, they are. I'm just looking up right now, like where Robert De Niro is, because I'm pretty positive it, it's uh, like my friends and I, uh, my friend Brett and I quote Midnight Run maybe more than any other film. It it is. I I watch that movie at least you know, twice a year. I yeah. feel like <laughs> um, it's such a great <laughs> film and, you know, and I love showing it to people because it's a movie that, yeah. And, and this, and I'll say this about Beverly Hills cop, the same thing. I love showing this movie to people because their impression of what Eddie Murphy is, right. Is so different. And then yeah. I remember showing this to my wife. She's like, wow, this is really good. Uh-huh. And you, and it, it is, it's like, it's, it's, it's a good performance. It's a good comedy performance. And it's a good action movie that actually has, like uh, a pretty solid 
mystery. Like the way that like yeah. all these tro- you know, like sure. you know, for whatever a cop movie is, uh-huh. like you know, it's small. I think that's the thing I really like about it too. It's like we're so used to, you know, oh, they're transporting nuclear weapons or this. It's like no, it's an art dealer who's like smuggling coke in. It's yeah. like it's not. It's not a. Um, it's a minor crime. It's a believable crime, even yeah. though they're getting... And it never well, gets convoluted. Right. Uh, you know, it's a pretty simple story, which is what you want, because you want Eddie Murphy to come in there and have his pieces with uh, the Banana Man. Yes. And just like these little things that are peppered throughout the movie. Damon Wayne's also in a little part there. Yeah, so I think funny that was his debut, screen debut. And also, arguably, you know, this is a movie where... You know there are some problematic uh, elements too. Sure. Like, yeah, but uh, but but not as bad as not not terrible. But yeah, like, but yeah, like like that Damon Wayne's caricature of yeah. uh, of a gay man is pretty uh, intense. Yeah, this is the first time I just go back to De Niro. He did a comedy because he was coming off of like Angel Heart and a lot of heavy uh, shit. Yeah, probably. Once Upon a Time in America and the King yeah. of uh, King of Comedy. Oh, King of Comedy is. Uh, yeah, you well, know, in the darkest way possible. Yeah. That was a good movie. But then after after Midnight Run, you're getting into We're No Angels, and then you know, and then it just yeah, kind of kind of started it all, didn't it? Yeah, and then and then it's like Mad Dog and Glory, which is still a little straight. But he, I'm like, it's interesting to watch his career because yeah. I, I watched all these movies. But yeah, it just started like there's these like little left field choices. <laughs> uh, one of the other funny scenes. And again, like with the Serge scene, like they definitely just pop these little things in there. Like Eddie Murphy could have gone to the restaurant to confront Victor Maitland and just gone straight in there. But yeah. no, he goes in there with the, you know, the Capricorn, Herpes yeah. Simplex 10. Yeah, exactly. And it just like, it makes the whole thing better. Well, just again, it's just showing how you can be additive without derailing a movie. And I think yeah. that there's like, there's a great thing for, you know, I like to me, my number one movie in this like genre of what I love and try to aspire to. And this may have been the movie I, I've said, but I feel like I talk about it so many times is Ghostbusters. Like Ghostbusters. Uh, that to was me, it, yeah. Yeah. Cause Ghostbusters to me is uh, a kind of a perfect movie in the sense that it is, it works fully as like a sci-fi film that has like really funny comedy beats, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, that are not, distracting from the plot or not derailing the plot, not right. selling out your characters for the plot. And if it was so easy to do, we'd have a million of them. And we right. don't have a million Beverly Hills cops. We don't have a million yeah. Ghostbusters. It's every now and then you get this thing. You're like, Oh, that's uh-huh. so good. Like, and I think like the heat is the closest I've seen r- lately. That kind of is a, a funny uh-huh. cop movie, but you know, there's still big things in it, but Ghostbusters is arguably People try so many times yeah. to capture what that is, but I think it's like partly is like keeping it small. But mm-hmm. I think in, we're in, a, in an era where everything has to be big. Like you mm-hmm. would never be able to make this movie now. This is an independent movie, Beverly Hills Cop. At this point, like yeah, you know it because it, it would ha- there would have to be a house exploding, uh-huh. a free rate ch- chase. Like you yeah. can't just get away with throwing a guy through a plate glass window. And right, it's a dialogue based movie. Which was funny in itself, actually. Yeah, that it, that's how they get rid of him. Yeah, he goes like throw myself through a plate glass window. <laughs> But yeah, I, I do think that the movie, like, I mean, and I think one of the seminal scenes is we talked about before, like the idea of race and like mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, he uses, they are racially profiling him yeah. and then he uses race against them. And and that's constantly the battle of the movie. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, you, he's trying to con a room at the Beverly Hills Hotel. For $235 a night, which I know. is funny now. <laughs> when you hear that, you're like, whoa. Uh, yeah. So he's trying to get in there. 
and he uses race against them. And uh-huh. then the talent is using race against him to kind of minimize them. And yeah. everywhere he goes, he works it to his advantage when he can. Yeah. It's status. It's like mm-hmm. playing these status things. And uh, yeah, I just, I, it, it's one of those movies. And I always try to find these movies, it, whether it's galaxy quest with midnight run, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills cop, these movies that are a little bit lower um, on the scale of like, uh-huh. they're not like of reverence. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people aren't sitting around t- and we, like we talk about platoon. It's like, you're not putting them in the, in the conversation uh-huh. of the greatest comedies of all time or the greatest action movies of all time, but there are great examples yeah. of these great movies that so work and are so fulfilling. I mean, you just watched it, uh, but you said the other night. Yeah. Was it like, did you enjoy your experience in watching it? Was it like a fun? I time? had a blast and it was, um, I think the reason, one of the reasons some of these movies aren't included like that is it, it's so eighties. Right. And um, it's so easy to, to write it off for that reason if you don't really sit down and watch it. Right. If you think like you hear fucking Neutron dance. Right. And the heat is on and all these. And it, it's actually kind of funny. It was a great time to be like a, a middle aged black woman as oh, a performer yeah. because I forgot like there were so many. There was just like a string of hits. Oh, that like that soundtrack I owned and played uh, so many times and still even have it as like a Spotify playlist on my phone. It's yeah. Yeah. It's great. And like, you know what I love about it, too? It's. 80s without being overtly 80s like yeah th- there's a scene where he's driving through beverly hills and he looks at this guy dressed as like basically michael jackson uh-huh. and thriller and is like <laughs> laughing at it because like it's almost like saying like that's how uh-huh. certain people are living the 80s but when you look at detroit yeah it's just jeans and t-shirts or you know it's like it's there's yeah. nothing nothing eight there's they're not like throwing 80s shit in there it's like the music and everything yeah. feels like that but it it, it just feels more Along the lines of like seventies aesthetic uh-huh. in an 80s movie, but with all the 80s trappings of those, you know, like there's a million songs in it at every given point. And yeah. by the way, speaking of the best in- instrumental song of all time, the oh. Axel F theme. I yeah. Mean, Can't so go without great. mentioning yeah. the great Herbie Hancock. Uh, oh, it's uh, Harold Faltmeyer. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I, I think I just wrote down Herbie Hancock because I, yeah, it's just uh, misremembered. I mean, yeah, Harold Faltmeyer. Yeah, right. And uh, it's a great. That was a top ten hit, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and it's come like, back. I remember Casey Kasem listening to that on Sundays. Oh, it, it, it's it was a huge hit, and it's great. And uh, I've been told that the best when you have an earworm, like uh, when you have a song you can't get out of sure. your head, just hum that song and it'll knock it out. Oh, it, I've always it, heard it, "Ring of Fire" by Johnny Cash. Oh, so it, that's great. All right, all right. So there we go. Um, but there's something crazy about that because that song came back only a handful of years ago for uh-huh. like. Uh, whatever, like, like it was like disco frog, like they, like it was a um, EMD kind of song. Oh, like really? I, oh, yeah. There's a zillion Axel F, like, like tripped out crazy versions that became number one wow. as well. I think it's crazy frogs. Axel F became number one for a little That's bit. So funny. Yeah, so and nuts. it's an iconic. Uh, a lot of here to like. Keyboard. A lot, yeah, a lot here to like, and uh, and then it's funny uh, to me. I'm always saying like I love when you watch the sequels because. That's when you start to like, all right, they yeah. drive a little bit into different directions. Yeah, and, yeah. and I still love the sequel. I love it. it Me and, too. Uh, and the sequel has a very like, it's Don Bruckheimer and uh-huh. Judge. Uh, Simpson and Bruckheimer. Simpson and Bruckheimer. So it has that kind of energy behind yeah. it. And it's the beginning of that energy, which is kind of like that movie kind of leads to a movie like The Rock. And then that The yeah. Rock leads to a movie like Transformer. You know, it's right. like, you know, we're, it, it's the beginning <laughs> step of that. So you, you still are like, I mean, look, they're running around with a cement truck there and it's a great sequence too. Sure. But, you know, it's like they're playing, you know, they're going to like the perfect example of the difference between one and two is 
they go to the Playboy Mansion and too. And right. it's like, okay, now that like, <laughs> sure. And it's a funny sequence and he's talking to Hugh Hefner, but it's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I love it. I'm just saying if I'm looking at it from a critical point of view, yeah, it's like, that's where they kind of like edge that jumping of the shark. And then when you go to the number three, it's like, well, I forgot yeah. everything that was good. Right. And Eddie Murphy even feels like he forgot everything that was good in that movie. Yeah. It's like Hector was- Elizondo, no offense right. is in there now. And it's like, what the fuck <laughs> am I watching? And, and I think one of the reasons what's so good is like Ronnie Cox. Oh man, he's so great. Just an amazing guy. I got to direct him. Uh, I directed an episode of children's hospital with Ronnie Cox and it was everything that I, I had to hold back everything just because I want to talk to him about <laughs> yeah. all of this stuff. And he's a great guy who will tell those stories. And deliverance. And, I mean, my oh, God, deliverance, RoboCop, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, RoboCop. Yeah. Of course. He's great. Uh, at the end of the day though, what I realized watching it now in my middle age, like this is a movie about friendships really. Yeah. Whether it's Mikey and Jenny or Taggart and Rosewood, like they have a very sweet, they end up in a very sweet place yeah. as three, three like legit pals who you feel like would do anything to help each other at that point. I think one of the things that I love about Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's a small little detail, um, is the picture of them fishing. Uh, it's on Axel's like, like, like the camera's panning across Ronnie Cox's office. Uh-huh. And it's just sort of like, and you see like, oh, in the interim between these two movies, they all went fishing. They went on a fishing trip together. I don't think I ever noticed oh, that. Uh, That's and, great. And I love it. So like to me, by the way, my I had a pitch always. I mean, no one is asking. But um, my whole pitch for Beverly Hills Cop uh, 4, uh-huh. I always thought. That I, one? Yeah, I got it. And my, my pitch was this. Um, at least to get into it. They're on one of their fishing trips. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, this also has to take – I'm not taking in – to accord how old they all are right. now. Um, but they're all on a fishing trip, but they're off the coast of Miami. Uh-huh. And they see something happening yeah. out in the water uh-huh. while they're in there. And they go back to Miami. And so you take it out of Beverly Hills mm-hmm. and you go to Miami and you, and, and, you, and they go to Miami and, and they're now both fish out of water there. Yeah. There's a Beverly Hills cop and you, hopefully Axel Foley is still from Detroit. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you bring them <laughs> uh, and you bring them there to just another culture that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. When you put them both as fish out of water, and I think that that's a you know a certain point that always felt like oh that would be yeah. really cool to a see. nice way to finish it off. Yeah, have you actually pitched that? No, I wish I could. I don't know who I. I feel like <laughs> the people that they're listening to pitches for. I, I got to like I, I snake so much Beverly Hills Cop stuff because. Uh, I just love it. So I've gotten to read like Beverly Hills Cop scripts that were uh-huh. optioned and uh, were terrible. Like. But I don't know if they're placeholders either. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, well, this will be funny because of this. But Beverly Hills Cup 3 just fucked it all up because they yeah. killed Gil Hill. Like, they take away Paul Reiser. Like, yeah. they, you you wreck the things that you want to see. And the, the uh-huh. thing that I love about Paul Reiser and Gil Hill and the and Detroit stuff is that they are, you could check in on them. And they're, yeah. you know, they're they're not like, they're not crucial, but they are, cru- like, there's yeah. something really fun about those characters. I mean, has there ever been a third movie in a franchise that was very good? That's a tough. No, I guess you're right. That's a yeah. tough one. I'm sure that someone will, you know, write into us and tell us, but wait, yeah, um, you know, and it's it's. I think it's a rant. It's the only time you ever get that is like in an X Men First Class, you know, when Matthew Vaughn sure. is. But yeah. that's not a third. That's that's a new director doing a different. reboot. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's and uh, you know, even in with when I've been working, I've been working on Galaxy Quest for TV. You know, my big thing with that has been, and you know, for better or for worse, and dealing with a lot of different people and mm-hmm. why they think Alex Quest works is like, we just can't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You have to create something new because if you don't, you're just going to spin out. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, it's like this tough line of 
you know, that's why I think Aliens is a great sequel. I love yeah. Aliens. Uh, it's not, it's of the same ilk as Alien, mm-hmm. but it's not that, it, I wouldn't even consider it, it's a spiritual sequel. It's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, and that's how I think we should be making movies. Like, you don't right. have to be like, let's get him back to Beverly Hills and there's right. another thing and there's another, you know, it's like. That's to, the worst kind of sequeling is just literally recycling the same jokes in a yeah, different way. Because it's like, well, what you, what you want to see is these characters back, but you don't want to see the same. It, it's a fine line. I, I don't know. know what, like, what are the best sequels? I mean, there's only a handful, right? Yeah, not many. Yeah, it's like they all just fizzle hard. Yeah. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. All right, we finished with a couple of segments. You feel good about Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, feel good. All right. Uh, what Ebert said, and then five questions. I always try and see what Roger Ebert said about some oh, yeah. of these films. This movie is a complete disappointment. He gave this one two and a half stars. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was a little off the mark here yeah. uh, to me. He says, when Murphy tries to move against Maitland, he comes up against the Beverly Hills cops, including an Abbott and Costello team that supplies unnecessary pratfalls, successfully undermining the credibility of any police scene that threatens to work. But wait a minute. What's this movie about anyway? Is it a comedy or an action picture? It's both. Uh, Audiences may expect a comedy, but the closing shootout scene is inspired by the machine gun massacre at the end of Scarface and the whole business with the cocaine. So very, very tired that when we see the boss and his henchmen in the warehouse, we feel like we switched to another movie, maybe a dozen other movies. 
So hmm, uh, interesting. It, yeah, it, I don't I buy mean, that. I think the thing that we like about it is that it does, I think, do tonal switches. And mm-hmm. it's something that we, I think, you know, I think good films can, I think one of the most exciting things is like those changes of tone. Like, can you yeah. pull that off? Can you go there and can you go back? And I think it's something that probably now, if you watch it, you'd be like, oh, this is in. Yeah, it might, I don't think it happened a lot then. We find a lot on Unspooled. Uh, some of the the biggest reviewers that you know uh-huh. ripping on these films, yeah, uh, and, and pretty much all of them. Not not to say this is like one of the best films of all time, but whenever these movies are doing something big, whether mm-hmm. it's two thousand one, whether it's Citizen Kane, whether it's uh, you know the only ones that have not gotten bad reviews really have been Swing Time and and Ben Hur, which is uh-huh. funny because I arguably they're the most palatable, right? But when you're making something that's trying to do something different that you had not yeah. seen. People often come at them and like, no, no, it's not my perspective. And yeah, uh, and again, talking to this guy who I know who wrote and directed uh, Hotel Artemis, it's interesting because they're billing it as John Wick, and people are coming. And some of the reviews I read, they're like, "Well, it's not John Wick." It's like, "Well, it's not supposed to be John Wick." Right. It's more Barton Fink uh-huh. meets Repo Man. Right. But if you go in with this preconceived notion, it's a very interesting thing that you don't change it by what uh-huh. you're watching. It's like. Well, can't you have a movie that switches tone? Does it have to be all action? Does it have to be all comedy? Does yeah. it, you know, can you can you go in and out of both? I don't know. I think which is interesting because I thought Forty Eight Hours did that well. Forty Eight Hours is great, and Forty Eight Hours is kind of the testing ground for this because it's yeah. like it is less comedic. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I mean, in my rem- yeah. remembrance of it, uh, but like you get that bar scene. Like that bar sure. scene is 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 a great thing, and Eddie Murphy is dancing around but it's like that's a pretty brutal end scene too that's a yeah. Great, yeah i love that uh beautifully shot all right five questions with yeah. paul Shear. what's the first movie you remember seeing in the theater um well i have an uh, tell me if this counts drive-in movie the jerk uh, sure. so yeah i remember my parents sneaking me into a drive-in movie mm-hmm. and and uh seeing the jerk from underneath the covers and probably falling asleep in the middle of it yeah i saw blazing saddles that way when i was like Four. Oh, wow. That's so <laughs> fun. Yeah. It's like, yeah, your parents went to go see a movie and they're like, well, he can sleep in the back. Yeah, exactly. I've thought that a few times with my kids. Uh, first R-rated movie. Hmm. Does that stand out? You know, I'll tell you that I believe if it wasn't Beverly Hills Cop, um, the one that I felt most scandalous in watching okay, is yeah, Risky Business. Yeah. Um, Risky Business was like our, we convinced my friend's mom to rent it for mm-hmm. us. And she just saw like a kid with like a Lamborghini or uh, with a Porsche on yeah. the front. So she didn't understand that this is a movie about a guy like hiring a pos- prostitute. And yeah. Like, and that was like, whoa, sexy. Yeah. What is this? This is crazy. And I recently rewatched it. It's a good movie. It's it a, is a good movie. You know, um, it, but yeah, but that was like, whoa, sex. Like it just felt yeah. like something big. Yeah. That subway scene. I mean, that's, that's yeah. hot stuff. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> Rebecca DeMornay, man. She, yeah. A lot of teenage boys in the eighties. Oh, that, uh... <laughs> absolutely. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will you walk out of a bad movie? Do you remember doing so? Yeah. I contemplated walking out of last action hero when mm-hmm. I saw it. I want to watch it again. I want to revisit it because I've actually I didn't think, like that. Wasn't a very good movie. Yeah, right. It just it felt like it was trying to be one thing. Mm-hmm. Shane Black, huge fan of Shane Black, love Shane Black, but that was like his attempt at kind of doing like a meta commentary on the angry yeah. police chief captain, all this. And I remember like sitting there and going, "Well, I should leave. I I don't know." And I and I got myself caught up in stuff like that, like Major League Three, mm-hmm. also like in the theater. Um, third movie again. I know third movie. 
Uh, Major League One, great movie yeah, too. Um, agreed. But I'm trying to think if I've walked out. Oh well, yes. And I've talked about this uh, before, but I, uh, I again a drive-in mm-hmm. drove out of a drive-in uh, during Lady in the Water. A double uh, screening of Lady, yeah. Lady in the Water and Beer Fest. Uh, yeah. And we just took off. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a commitment to yeah. when you're driving out. Oh, yeah. It was like just watching everyone <laughs> stare at us as we pull out of there. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, number four, I tailor to the guest. So I'm going to go with um, what what classic comedy do you wish you could have been in? And maybe even character. Uh well, I love Ghostbusters. I mean, Ghostbusters to me is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because we talked about that a little bit, maybe I'll say, hmm, it's a good, it's a good question. Like, what are they? Hmm. It's funny because I feel like in my grand scheme. Oh, all right. I'll say this. Uh, just because I've talked about Ghostbusters and I talk about it all the time. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. And I would love to have, I, I would love to have been, uh, either one of those characters really. I, yeah. it, it's it's a great uh, it's a great movie. It's a great underappreciated mm-hmm. film. Again, another movie hard to pull off. Like those John Hughes movies. Yeah. Wow, they are often copied and very rarely uh, achieved. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that Plain Trains Automobiles. I, I would give me either one, and I feel like I could do a take on uh-huh. either version. I mean, and no offense to those two guys, because John Candy and Steve Martin are just oh, yeah. like kind of at the top of their game. And yeah, 100%. Such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, movie going 101. What's your th- theater ritual? Where do you sit? What do you eat? Oh, okay. Um, for me, I am, uh, I've become a middle, well, I'll tell you, when I'm by myself, um, it's a couple things. So, yeah, I like uh, this. <laughs> so it depends on when I'm seeing the movie. If I'm seeing the movie and I know it's going to be packed, mm-hmm. um, I am picking an aisle. I like being on the aisle. I like the freedom mm-hmm. of the aisle. Uh, not that I use it, but I just like, sure. I like being there when I know I'm going to go see a movie during the middle of the day. Uh, I am going mid, mid, like mid, mid. Uh-huh. Like, so that's, that's what I like. Uh, I've often, I've been experimenting with, uh, way back last row. Oh. I like that as well. It's a nice uh, place to kind of be back row, <laughs> right hand corner. Um, uh, and experimenting. And, I like it. Yeah. Cause it's sort of like, I'm like, Oh, well middle middle is where everyone wants to sit. Right. Uh, so, uh, but back is actually really nice. I feel like you get like a real, like mm. I saw a last Jedi back corner and it was great. It just felt like I was like, I, I don't know. It just felt like it was, uh, I just like that experience of like, I could yeah. take it all in. It depends on the, the screen, um, sometimes with the stadium seating, the back row, you're like kind yes. of at the top of the screen, which I don't love. Yeah, no. And it's, it's all theater dependent. Um, snack wise, if, uh, ideal, mm-hmm. I'm going with Twizzlers, not Red Vines, Twizzlers, some more East coast than mm-hmm. West coast. Um, and I'm going to take some peanut or regular M&Ms, put them in my popcorn. That's a familiar move. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then, you know, I feel like it's a movie, so I'll treat myself to like a, uh, whether it's Mr. Pib yeah. or Dr. Pepper, kind Junkie of, soda. Cher- yeah, like, yeah, like kind of a, a cherry Coke. Now that they got those freestyle machines, I mean, my life is great, you know, but, uh, what do you mix it up? Well, yeah, well, what I really do right now, cause I feel like it's bad to drink that much sugar. I will yeah. give myself pretty much more than three quarters worth of like uh, carbonated water uh-huh. and then just throw in uh, a little bit of orange Fanta just to kind of oh, top okay. it off. And that's right. my, uh, that's my go-to, <laughs> my go-to. Uh, but yeah, that's my, um, 
my thing and lately I have two kids. So going to see movies is a tricky proposition for my wife and I, because we sure. are, it, it's like, I'm with you. It's not about getting the kids. It's about getting the kids down, but it's also like when you can get out of the house and if you get, and then we need to hit that seven, seven thirty movie because mm-hmm. the ten thirty movies are, t- you know, it's like, yeah, it's hard. So, um, I've been seeing a lot of movies during the day and I love it. It's I love the best. sneaking out for two hours at, and I, I find I enjoy movies more now too yeah. that way. Cause I'm just sort of like fully engaged in mm-hmm. my movie going experience. Yeah. And an arc light midday matinee is yeah. like, there's some serious film lovers in those, in those rooms. Oh, I love it. And, and I will recommend, uh, for you who I imagine you, have, how many kids do you have? Uh, I one three-year-old daughter. Okay, great. So I like this thing out here in LA. It's called the IPIC theater. It is a small theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so each theater probably has less than 40 seats. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a full service bar and kind of restaurant. But the way the restaurant works is it's kind of like a step up from the Alamo Draft House. Um, you are in these giant relaxing like lazy boys. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, they can kind of go back and you really can get comfortable in them. And they have a table built in and all the food they deliver. And it's good food made mm-hmm. by good chefs are you don't need a fork and knife. Yeah. So it's all handheld food, all kind of like, even uh-huh. if it's the nachos, they're all individual. <laughs> and so you can kind of have a date night where you have dinner, drinks, and a movie uh-huh. all in one. And, I've, and I said to my wife, we've never had a bad movie experience here. We've seen so many really, without saying their names, terrible movies uh-huh. there. And I've left <laughs> and I'm like, ah, it was a great time. Right. Yeah. It's good stuff. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's my parenting uh, tip. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. It's so much fun. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Another one in the can. That was a lot of fun. Paul is, uh, he's a very good conversationalist and that was a lot of fun. I've never met him before, but we got along great and he's very easy to talk to. And uh, it was fun talking Beverly Hills Cop and hearing all those great stories about the early days of UCB and uh, just that talented group of people that he came up with. And uh, check out Unspooled. Check out How Did This Get Made? Two great, great other uh, movie podcasts that Paul does. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe he'll ask me to be on one of them one day. I can only hope. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Paul Shear, P-A-U-L-S-C-H-E-E-R. And uh, check out The League. Check out Human Giant. Definitely check out Children's Hospital. All great Paul Shear vehicles. All right, so that's it for this week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, as the sun sets slowly in the West, I bid you a fine farewell. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. 
It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.